Why, hello, Thrivers. What is a Thriver, you ask? If you're a Thriver, it means you're a fan of this show. That's right. While you're all Thrivers in my heart, there's a more official way to become one, if you catch my drift. Go to www.patreon.com slash MrThrive to become a patron to this exciting opportunity for exclusive content, live updates, experimental media, insights, and more, all to keep you more in the action. Become a Thriver today at patreon.com slash MRThrive. Enjoy the show. You have stumbled upon Stars of Tomorrow, where every Friday I, Mr. Thrive, interview someone like actor and comedian Carla Emilion, who has yet to be discovered. This up-and-coming podcast talks with the up-and-coming. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much yeah, for having me. It's... I, I'm weirdly nervous. This is my first podcast. So I'm afraid of what will come out of my mouth. It won't be your last. I hope not. I no. mean, unless I say something crazy and then you're like, we got to cancel her now. Well, no, no. Because like the first time I met you on set, you had this personality that kind of outshined the rest. And that's why. Don't mm. say that. We're going to get in trouble. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> we you can't say that. No. <laughs> I, well, you can say I was the most rambunctious. Okay, fine. Would that be, I think it's because a lot of people, when they get on set, they're very shy. And for me, I want to meet every person on set and who's doing everything. Because to me, every part of the job is important. And I want to make sure people know like, hey, just because I'm the one memorizing the script doesn't mean that whatever you're doing is not important to me. And I want to know who you are. You're right. What you're doing. Let me try that again. Okay. Your personality <laughs> outshined the rest. Oh, darn it. I did it again. <laughs> Ooh, we going to get in trouble this morning. <laughs> No, but I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really stoked to have you here. Um, that show, that, that, that movie that we did was Stag Parties, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I was uh, sound mixing on it. Uh, she got to witness the origins of my audio experience. I did. He was so friendly. Every time you would mic me, he would ask permission to touch me, which is so nice, because I feel like sometimes you go on set and people just like lift your shirt up and mic you up, and you're like, well... Nice to meet you. <laughs> oh, shucks. Well, I, I appreciate it. And that, that is something that, you know, I was talking about recently about uh, etiquette on set when it comes to, to treating people with respect and, and whatnot. There is, I wouldn't call it a lack of professionalism. I would call it uh, a misunderstanding for what professionalism means, mm-hmm. you know? Because, yeah. like, I, don't get me wrong, I know a lot of sound mixers out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm part of the Los Angeles Sound Mixers Facebook page. Ooh. Really great community of guys just talking about like ways to improve their gear. But one thing that I always thought that was missing was like, okay, how do we treat actors, especially the actresses uh, who need to be cared for in a, in a higher etiquette and whatnot? Mm-hmm. And on that set, it was a little bit of a test because it was a predominantly mm-hmm. female cast. Yeah, it was. It well, was... you handled it with grace, and I. And honestly, I mean. It's just nice to, what you mean like the etiquette and, and being kind. I think that's such a big important part of being on a set. Because if you're going to be hanging out with people for four days, eight hours, eight to 12 hours a day, and you're not going to be nice to each other and respect each other, you're not going to have a good time. Oh, no, totally. Have you been in a, in a, in a slammer like that before? Uh, Like a, a set that wasn't nice? Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think it adds a distraction to the production because now it's not just like... I'm not in the back thinking about my lines and what I need to say and what I need to do. I'm thinking, okay, I need to make sure that whenever I go into the dressing room, I avoid this person because they have bad energy and have a bad attitude and I don't want to deal with them. So yeah, I've been in that and it's not been like super terrible, but you, it's interesting how you will not get a job again if you're not a nice person. It doesn't matter how good you do the job. If you're not kind, people will not have you back. It's at this level, that's just so true it's so pertinent to uh how hollywood and and film the film industry works Mm kind of like that word of mouth um i mean but that that's kind of like it's it's like as great as as it's terrible Mm -hmm. because your qualifications can be there but your personality well be a good person that should be the first and foremost thing and i think it's so good now especially now in hollywood we're calling out people for their bad terrible behavior and you have to if you 
if you want to make it a safe space for people, you need to be standing up for people, especially people who don't have a bigger voice than you do. Absolutely. I, I've personally never believed in slander, but I will say that the last company I worked for, again, I will not say the name of Ooh, that company. We're about to get messy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I, I worked in an environment that was so toxic and mm-hmm. there was this one producer who just was so cringy yeah. and he always made the, the most sexual jokes and he was never afraid to uh, be lewd and in such an inappropriate way that it gave people anxiety. I remember talking with specific people about this and that's just so disturbing to me mm-hmm. that that's still, it's still prevalent. And, and luckily people like him are going, they are going, the Bye. numbers are dissipating. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> bitch. Um, it's impor- I mean, it's, it's so important. Even if you're not the one doing it, you have to make sure you're calling it out. It's difficult though. Right. Sometimes because you, sometimes it's like, ooh, you can't say anything to that person because they're so high up in the totem pole, but it's like, we need to start making sure people are acting right because it'll come out and the day, the ways that, you know, like social media and, and the voice that, the power that people have now to voice these things. It'll come and catch you sooner or later, so. It really will. I, on my last day at that company, made it a point. I, I, I told my boss, well, I, I, I first asked him, will I get my exit interview? And, and he said, yeah, 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 you'll get your exit interview with the HR representative. I'm like, okay, great. Good, because I have an essay written. <laughs> yeah, basically. And then and then what happened was after that, like, I, I really made it a point. It was like... She was late that day, so I I was saying like literally this needs to happen today. Will it happen? Like, oh yes, she's just late, mm-hmm. and she was late. But I said everything that I wanted to say. I mm-hmm. talked about the racism I heard in the office. Ugh. I talked about the sexual, uh, verbal assaults. I'll say mm-hmm. at these women who just accepted it because mm-hmm. that's the culture of that company. They're afraid to lose your job because they're afraid to lose their job. It's just totally taking advantage, and it's so scummy. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but it's changing, which is hopeful. It's it's good, mm-hmm. you know. Yes. But I'm sorry that you've had to deal with that in the slammer, though. <laughs> I mean, you. It's like it's as a. I think as a woman, that's just something you just grow up, and you you have to f- learn to pick your battles. Because if you battle all the time, people think, "Oh, that girl's so bitchy. She's so angry. She's so irrational." So you just really have to learn your battles. But for me, I like I like to call people out. But I, you also have to be careful. And to me, I, like a lot of it is like, when is the right time and when do I have enough power to be able to say something and something be done about it? Well, how do you know with someone like yourself when you have power? Um, when I, I'm, well, for some times I think it's just like having other people back you up and having enough people to come. And I think like even with sexual assault, assault that's why a lot of women come forward together because it's such even with those things it's such a scary thing to do alone but even with something so small as like someone saying something racist I think a lot of the times is okay someone said something terrible to me and I have a really thick skin I've been through a lot and I've heard a lot and I've you know it's just I've been through it and I think what if this person continues this cycle but with somebody who's not as strong as me? And this could break somebody, especially in the industry. You're starting off, you don't know anything, you you want to be hopeful, and then someone says something awful to you. That makes a lot of people quit. And to quit because of that, because of the one person, and this person has never been called out, for me, that's a big, important part, to be like, hey, you can't continue to do this. You think that you can get away with it, but at some point, someone's going to catch you, and you're going to get in trouble. And so it's just... I don't know. Making if if you see something wrong happening, you have to stand up. It's you can't let it. You can't let that cycle continue. Do you know about the resources for standing up and, and, and talking about that? Because I I actually personally do not do not know about them as much. But maybe perhaps you do. I I just feel like there's there's got to be resources to to kind of be the whistleblower. You know, well, it depends on what it is. I think if you're if you're talking about it, not just even in the industry, but in in like let's just say a job in general. You would hope to think that like someone who's also higher up would be on your side, but you know, honestly, you kind of really never know. I, I find a lot of community with my own friends or uh, people who have been through the same stuff. Um, but no, I don't really have an answer for that. I think it's just 
finding your own community and making sure you find those people who will believe you, who will be on your side and who will stand up with you. The people that you can trust, the people that mm -hmm. really have a special place in your heart. Yeah. doesn't necessarily have to be related to your industry or what you do. No, I think it's just having that close circle of those people who will stand up for you even when you can't stand up for yourself. Oh, yeah. We all need that, mm -hmm. you know? We all absolutely need that. But I think what we have to do in Hollywood these days is we have to make an effort to abandon the practices that encourage uh, people like that producer and others mm -hmm. from that, yeah. you know, uh, they cannot persist anymore. Mm -hmm. This this behavior. We have to we have to start kicking them off of jobs because like what I've learned is like if you have a bad attitude, you're not nice. They will find somebody to do the same job for half the price. Oh yeah. And so it's like, why would we continue to put people on set that's not making people happy or, or comfortable or fostering a good work environment? Like, no, get them out of here. No, get them out of here. The the, the our industry is like it's it's incredibly saturated. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly it saturated, and it's a it's a whole entire, uh, I'll say, uh, a collection of just people just undercutting each other mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. Uh, and it's weird how the industry doesn't value a lot of people. Like, it doesn't va add value to you being a good person. Like, that should be a part of your resume, not just, oh, this is a really great actress. It should also be, oh, and she's really kind. <laughs> right. Like, that should be an extra bonus. Like, wow, she's this person is really great, but she's terrible. And this person's great and teachable, but she's so nice. Let's right. go with this person. I, nine times out of ten, I'd always go with the person who's teachable. Mm -hmm. And that's that's always how I've worked personally when directing my own films. And it's it's cre created the best results. It really has. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm an advocate for that, yeah. that mindset for sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm sorry that you've had to put up with, with that on set. That, that... I think it's it's... It comes with a job, with any job. And it's unfortunate that we have to say, like, oh, it comes with a job. But, you know, you you learn from it, you move on, and you know that that's, you know that you're never going to do that or you're going to know, like, wow, that looks horrible. I'm That's not people I want to be around. And that's, if at, if at any point in time I ever get the power to make my own movies and produce my own things and bring bring in my own crew, I know who I would not bring on. Right. Yeah. Hell yeah. Would you, do you actually want to produce film? I I would like to, yeah. I think once I have enough fame or not, I don't <laughs> want to say fame, but enough like power and have done my career in acting, it would be nice to turn around and be able to write and produce things to open up doors for other people like me. That's remarkable. What kind of story would you tell? You know, any story... For me, my goal would be to write everyday stories that involve a variety of people. I think like... We see all these up-and-coming movies about, um, like, Lady Bird or Boyhood. All these movies that's, like, it's always this white person's coming-of-age story. And it's, like, where are the stories of people who aren't like that, who don't look like that, who don't sound like that, who didn't have that upbringing, but it's, like, more diverse. It's more... I just want to highlight every person because it's so important to be able to see yourself. Yeah. And to be able to express your voice and it not necessarily having to be a minority movie and just making it the norm. Because I feel like for a long time, white straight has been the norm. And it's like, no, there's so many people in this world that that's not the norm for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, call back to, uh, I think, I believe, strongly believe as I'm saying this, the seventh episode of my podcast with Dana St. Ahmad. Uh, her episode was about her being a transgender woman in the film industry. Mm -hmm. My question is, why isn't there a coming-of-age story about the transgender world? And and I was just hanging out with her this last weekend, and mm -hmm. she was telling me about how um, tr the the diversity within the transgender community and the the the, the, the opinions and, and, and it just made me think about just what if there was a community of transgender people and would it be able to be functional because of their differences or dysfunctional because of that very thing. But I think that's what you would want to highlight. Yeah. Everything. Everything yeah. in between. Because, I mean, even the LGBTQ community, there's so many There's so many dysfunctions within just that community. And we're all supposed to be, you know, like, together right. in it. Because we're all supposed to be fighting for those rights. But the, even there's a dysfunction in there. And to even just be able to highlight that would be like, whoa, there's problems within every community yeah i actually think the pride the pride movement has been one of the strongest movements out there i'm actually surprised to hear you say the dysfunctional aspect of it well yeah i mean being a part of the community so 
I'm bisexual. A lot of people don't know that. I'm still kind of like transitioning and being more open about that. But I get invalidated all the time. Like people will say, pick a side. Pick, pick a, a side. side. You can't do both. You need to pick a side. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. People say that to you? Yeah, people say that to me. I, I will talk to like women who are just interested in women who are lesbians and they'll tell me, pick a side. Or we have this mentality where we're just confused or we're just... Um, we're going to cheat on people because we are all over the place. So even within our own community, I mean, even trans, I think a lot of straight, gay, white males still hate trans people. And it's and there's so many dysfunctions in the community itself to be able, even able to highlight those things and not paint this picture-perfect world of the LGBTQ or the stereotype of the LGBTQ. I think even that just is important. Yeah. Uh, I'm... I'm amazed because like it's such it's it's an incredibly strong movement that I have a mm-hmm. lot of uh, envy for and I've I've partaken in pride events. Yeah. When I was in San Francisco, actually, mm-hmm. I got to be at the pride where they legalized gay marriage, and that oh, made that made that me amazing. I, as a white heterosexual man, that made me cry. Oh my god! It, tears of joy. It, yeah, it was one of those few moments I got to cry tears of joy. That was beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, and that was a great day. Mm-hmm. And but I, I guess the is it possible to say that through dysfunction you create function? I think so because it points out where there's still room for improvement and room for growth. Yeah. Yeah. It's where there's – I think when you put a lot of intersectionality into a, a, a community, there's going to be problems because there so many things affect people in different ways and we don't know because the stories have not been told. And so if you – make it more open and we have this dialogue whether it's through podcast or film or music or the te- like anything i think it just makes it more of a norm and more okay to talk about and it's not a taboo absolutely and that's what you're bringing to the table in that, terms yeah. of your long-term goal yeah i want to i just want to create a path because so many people have helped me on my path and where i've come from and what I'm doing that I, I just want to turn around and be able to say, hey, I got these opportunities. I want to be able to give them to you so that you can thrive. Who who has helped you? Everybody. I mean, my parents, people I've met, whether it's like a good help, like they've actually helped me or have done me wrong. And I'm like, wow, this has made me learn to not <laughs> be this way. Um, but like just people in my community, like uh, my queer friends who've been you know, like a rock for me and like, hey, it's okay to be who you are. It's okay to be queer. It's okay to be closeted if you want to. It's okay to be loud about it if you want to. You know, all my Latino friends who help me like, because it's for me being an immigrant and growing up in the United States at such a young age, I feel kind of like I'm not super Latino because I didn't grow up super Latino, but I'm not American because I'm not white so even having those friends who I can have those discussions with and helping me find opportunities or or reading something and being like hey I saw that they're casting for this it made me think of you go audition just stuff like that I mean, and I think it's important to know that you're never doing it alone right and that's thing I have to remind myself every day uh it's it's like part of this is it's it's not even about pride it's like I just I just personally have that struggle of like remembering that myself of that it's not all on me mm-hmm. and i have to always remember to ask for help to practice yeah, yeah. that humility mm-hmm. it's not even a pride thing it, it's just like i guess i maybe it is pride i don't know it's just like this you have like this this little voice in the back of your head that keeps on ringing that says like what's expected of me mm-hmm. you know do you, do you get that as well yeah oh my god the expectations I'm, i and i for me too also because i expect so much out of myself I will drive myself mad. And it's like, girl, just, you don't have to do it all. You, It's okay to, like, not know and to ask for help. I think that, for me, also has been a big thing is, like, being okay with asking for help and not thinking that everyone's out to get me. Like, there are people who want to help you. They're sometimes hard to find, but they're there. And they're, if anything, they're excited because they're like, oh, this person thought of me and wants me to help them. Right. (laughs) So, but yeah, it's, I mean, you know the industry. It's like, there's so much competition and it's so saturated that you're like, I have to be the best no matter what. Right. And then you drive yourself mad because you think you have to do it all. And it's like, no, you have to, it's, this is a very collaborative industry you have to be able to build your network and trust in people otherwise 
you're going to dig yourself a hole and stay in there. (laughs) No, I think that, I think that that message of like, uh, being able to ask for help and, and, and being practicing humility, it's just like, it's something that needs to be repeated all throughout your entire career in this industry, especially this industry. Yeah. Because it just works against your professional etiquette. And that's something that I've been noticing a lot these past couple of weeks is like this underlying theme of professional etiquette. How do you maintain it? And what are, you know, like like that, that could be an entire rant mm-hmm. is like how to maintain. Uh, professional. Step professional. one, don't be an asshole. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, but you said your family helped you. Tell me about your family. Well, um, my, I grew up in Mexico. I'm an immigrant. My mom and my brothers, I have two older brothers. She moved me from Mexico to the United States when I was five years old. And I mean, even that was, at that time, I didn't know, you know, I'm a kid. I'm like, oh, we're moving to another neighborhood (laughs) and everybody speaks a different language. I don't know what's going on. Um, but even looking back and being able to see like even that opportunity to be able to get out of where I grew up and to come to the United States to get the opportunities that I have here to be bilingual, to meet people of different cultures, to um, get the education that I have, to get the opportunities that I have. That has been just the biggest, biggest blessing for me, even that just get my mom making that sacrifice of leaving her homeland to bring us here so that we could have this future has been the greatest help of them all. Because I don't want to say, I don't know what would have happened if I stayed in Mexico, but I don't want to, and I don't want to assume the worst because I don't want people to be like, yeah, leave Mexico. Mexico is disgusting because it's not. I just grew up in an area that pretty much that when you don't grow up with money, it's like, this is what, this is the path that you pretty much take. And I don't know if, you know, I would have still been an actress if I, stayed in Mexico that's a possibility that I will never know but the fact that I this is a life that I've been given and it has come with struggles but it has also come with so many blessings I think is has been the greatest gift there's a lot of misconception to Mexico isn't there yes uh and a lot of that's because of Hollywood I feel like yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean and it's such a big country and there's so many states and there's so many things that go on and you know, there are parts of Mexico that aren't good, but you have to look at the history as like, why? Right. <laughs> What's this, even just like now we have this war on drugs and there's so much misconception on that. And then it's glamorized by Hollywood, but the story, the real stories aren't being put out. The truth isn't being put out. There's so much corruption. There's so many terrible things happening from both sides. And so like, that's why I like, I'm careful with wording about me growing up in Mexico and being like, ah, oh, I would have never done the things that I'm doing here if, it, if I would have stayed there because I don't want people to picture Mexico as this bad place. Right. Because that's still like my heritage, you know? But um, I, I, I mean, like, am I wrong in, in saying that America is like same story, different country in that respect? Yeah, I think so. Because we have Florida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have you, Detroit. I, <laughs> it, and we have corruption and we have inequality and we have racism and sexism and homophobia. Yeah, it's everywhere. And so it's it's same shit, different place, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, you, where you grow up is going to, you know, dictate how you become, of course. But. Yeah, it's you're dealing with the same issues. I want to see other countries' interpretation of America. Oh, well, they hate us. Well, and I don't I, blame them. <laughs> I don't blame them either. But it's like I want to see their interpretation, like compare the realism of it. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like there's got to be something that I pick up on that a normal European or, mm-hmm. or whatever the native of that movie's yeah. viewer is that they're going to pick up on, mm-hmm. you know? Our, how fucked up we are. <laughs> right. There's yeah. also this thing on movie set memes where, like, anytime you film in Mexico, the same kind of color grading has to be used. And, like, I totally noticed that. Like, between Narcos and, yeah. let's say, I'm trying to think of another movie that uh, takes place in Sicario. Mexico. Sicario. Sicario. 
uh, like they have like the same like color mm-hmm. filters, and it's like it it doesn't all look like because they're trying to create this you know this language this stereo this stereotype this is what it is here right it's like when people think of africa and they think the worst and it's like there are places in <laughs> africa that probably look better than here and you just don't know because of what you're being fed right uh, that, that, that's the importance of travel you know you can't rely on film to be your sense of tourism yeah if you want real authentic escapism then you should just go travel i mean i get it it's Mm -hmm. expensive yeah but i think that's why it's important to add diversity to films because if you have people from that place telling the stories they're going to tell them as truthfully as they can rather than having somebody write a movie about drug cartels and all they've known is iowa right california you know like you can't be authentic if you're not living it or if you haven't experienced it or if you aren't close to it no, I, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I just, there, there's a whole beautiful, ugly world out there. Yes. Uh, have you have you played a role that that's close to, to meeting that level of, 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 de- of depth? Mm. Or told a story? I mean, even the last stag parties, I think a little bit of truth there. Um, there was a queer element in that film, but... No, and it's hard to find films that are written in such depth. I mean, I've auditioned for films, and it you read the synopsis, and you're like, wow, this is going to be great. That They're trying to highlight something. And then you read the script, or you see who wrote the script, and you're like, why are you telling, the, why are you telling this story? Why are right. you letting somebody who probably would be a better voice for this story? It's almost like sometimes I find that diversity isn't diversity because we want people to have stories. It's almost diversity because we want to get like brownie points. Like who can add the most quote unquote diverse I see. stories, but then it's written by white people <laughs> or it's like not told correctly or it's this romanticized or extra trauma, like trauma, traumatic story that it's just not like not well written. I did go on it for an audition and the script was really... I, didn't, I don't think I got it. I mean, it's been... I'm like crying. I'm like, I don't think I got it. Um, but the story <laughs> the was... struggle. It was really great. It was about, um, you know, Latino orphans growing up in the system. And to me, that felt real. That felt... I see people... It was so well written and the characters had depth. It wasn't the stereotypical like, oh, this Latino is now a drug dealer because their parents were assholes. You know, it wasn't right. like this stereotypical story it was like the story about these people that could have been told about anyone but it was just their lives so i think it's just the matter of finding those roles that are well written and i like i'm looking for them so if you if you're a good writer <laughs> if you're a good writer you know Please where hit to me hit. Up. <laughs> uh but but to kind of play, play devil's advocate on that yeah. how does uh, a white person tell a story about diversity uh, what's the right way to do it you know, I mean, there's a lot of answers to this and I don't want to step on anyone's toes. And I don't, I don't also want to come off like anti-white and like saying that white people need you to shut totally up. You are totally not anti-white. But I did not get that impression. As, I, a, as the white host of this podcast, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Fuck you. I did no, not get kidding. that impression. Um, I just think it's important to do it for the right reasons. Not doing it for the glamorization of being like, oh, I'm going to be the person known for bringing diversity on. Um, putting people of color, putting diverse people in your set, in your writing. If you're going to be writing about something that you don't necessarily know about, hiring writers who will fact check you, who will give you ideas, who will be a part of the process. You can't write a diverse story about a black person and then have an all white crew. It just doesn't make sense. I personally don't find that comfortable. It still seems like a commodity, like like a show almost. Yeah, like like don't worry, I'm not a part of that demographic, so I'm going to put on this mask it of diversity. It just feels like exploitation. If you can find someone else who can tell that story more genuinely, why would you take it upon yourself to take that voice away from somebody else? Like I, I agree. Yeah. I am a huge advocate for the trans community. I'm not going to sit here and take over their space if i'm if i'm gonna have a conversation about that i'm gonna bring in somebody and be like this is the person you need to talk to i am only an ally i can't live on the i don't know the experience i don't know the struggle i don't know the fear the the joy any of that you need to talk to somebody who's actually experiencing it is there a film that you kind of look up to that that kind of covers that ground that it was a story told for the right reasons 
we were just talking about this earlier, Moonlight. Moonlight. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and even now people, so many people have chosen not to watch it because of what it, because of the story that it tells. Are you and that, really? And that's very telling. Yeah. There's a lot of people who have chosen not to watch that movie because they're taking a stand against these people's experiences. You mean um, the homosexual experience? Yeah, I guess so. The black homosexual experience between two men, like two men. Um, okay. It's just a weird thing to like get behind. It's a very specific thing to like not Well, you know, it, people, if, if, it, okay, so when it first came out, you know, when, think of another movie in that caliber. I know you haven't watched it, which you need to. I'm I, gonna fight I will. You. I will. But I'm when you sorry. watch it, you'll see it. To, you'll look at it and you'll be like, what other movie can I compare this to? What other story have I seen to this caliber, to this depth, to this rawness and realness and non-stereotypical? It's just like a story without... It doesn't even have to be... Like I said, it, it's not the quote-unquote norm, but it should be. It's just a story about two people living their lives. Right. And to me, that's so powerful. And to be able to see that and to know that kids who have never seen that before or adults who have never seen that before are like wow that's touching and that's moving and if they're if they identify with that they can say my story is being told in some form of or, or way and that, that's gotta be that's gotta be cool to like i'm i'm not a minority by any means minus the fact that i'm jewish so technically that is a minority mm-hmm. but i've never there's there's plenty of jewish representation in theater mm-hmm. and in movies uh but I, I, I can't imagine how uh, exciting and cool that must be to be, uh, in this case, for example, uh, an African-American homosexual uh, for the first time seeing a movie about himself yeah. or herself. Yeah, and to be a huge film and a huge success. Not that the success matters, but it, it just proves the point that people want these stories and people need these stories. These are stories that need to be told because there are people who are living this experience more than ever. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a big beautiful world out there and uh I think part of the information era that is so remarkable is that we're getting the chance to kind of rediscover each other and that does come with also rediscovering how ugly we can be at the same time. Yeah. But the the I'll, I'll say the the bright end of that is that we get this experience to just like experience i don't know i don't know how to put put it i don't know how to put it uh more simply because i i I can't tell you how many african-american homosexuals that i know but they exist and the Mm -hmm. fact that it's actually that stigmatized in the community yeah that's surprising Mm -hmm. but uh times are changing and that's kind of what's amazing about this information era is that we're rapidly expanding Mm -hmm. on so many different fronts yeah and whether people like it or not. Whether people like it or not, I, I'm I'm encouraged by it personally. I will cry about it. Yeah. It, it brings passion to my loins. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which would drive which helps drive your acting. Forward. Absolutely, yeah. And what's the next step for you in your acting career? To get booked on some <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, right now so I haven't been focusing a lot on acting lately. I've been doing a lot of stand-up, which is a whole nother beast in itself. I've and been watching your stuff on Instagram. I, I love I love the little stuff you've been putting out on there. Thank you. That's it's, awesome. It's been a journey, and it's uh, almost like a self-discovery. And just being able to say, wow, I did that. I, did, I, I fully pursued something different for a whole year. It was uncomfortable. It made me scared. I grew. Um, but I think it only makes me a better actress. I love doing comedy. But I also really love doing drama. And I think being able to jump in and out of both of them with such ease, I don't know. It's just so exciting. So I don't know. I, I'm really trying to manifest <laughs> um, booking something that takes me to a film festival. I really want to be a part of a film festival, whether it's um, Sundance or whether it's the Toronto Film Festival. Like, I, I just want to be in it, you know? Like, I, I keep seeing from the outside in, and I just want to be in it. And that goal is just so attainable. So, yeah. seriously, I applaud you. That's, that's you're getting there. You're, you. you're on the way there. I could totally see it happening. Stand-up, though, 
is not a casual thing to get into. No. <laughs> no. How'd you get into it? No, it's not. Um, so at the beginning of the year, I auditioned for a project where it's women in stand-up and they follow your journey doing stand-up for the first time. And I always thought about doing stand-up. I, you know, I'm a pretty, f- I want to say that I'm funny when I'm in conversation and I have a witty mind. Um, oh, I sound so like humble right now. <laughs> um, and I, it was like a challenge for me. Like I had no problem being on stage doing theater. I had no problem being on set, being on camera crying. But for some reason, something about stand-up terrified me. It was like, you have to be there alone. You're doing your own material and people are immediately telling you if they like you or not. Right. And so it was just like kind of a push to grow in that sense. Like if there's something so like titillating about doing something that scares the shit out of you oh yeah and so i was just like okay and then i got into it and i've just been i took a class i've been doing open mics i've been doing shows i got i had the opportunity to perform at flappers comedy store um laugh factory which the first year of doing stand-up i would have never like if you would have told me this two years ago i'd have been like you are on some like you need to get away from me (laughs) that is crazy though so you're at laugh factory all these Mm -hmm. major iconic uh, venues for yeah. for stand up comedy, and I mean, has the od- the audience been receptive? I think at, at Laugh Factory, you have to be yeah drawing a receptive audience, yeah. or else you're never coming back. Um, I did Laugh Factory with um, a group of like it was all an all women show, and so it's a very supportive stage. Um, so Laugh Factory was actually incredible. I think that like was the euphoric like most euphoric show that I've done like to and just even being like little old me being on this set making people laugh is like what are you sure are you sure you're not drunk <laughs> I'm like it's okay if you're drunk that's great it makes you laugh louder um I, for the most part yeah it depends on the audience you know I I talk about being an immigrant and I talk about being queer and I you know those are things that not all audiences are comfortable with and so I have you know been on stage and talked about being queer and heard people in the audience right. heckle and it's scary they, they've heckled you yeah <laughs> how, how, have you, how have you stood your ground there you just keep going I, it wasn't like an aggressive heckle i haven't had anyone like oh okay be like you're a bitch which yeah. i honestly i'm i mean so i would probably just go off on them yeah it could happen it's very possible in that line of work <laughs> oh tell me <laughs> it's, about it's kind it. of scary it's probably why i don't do it honestly yeah um but i've had you know you hear the things here and there and yeah it's disheartening, but you have to do it because if I have to be the first exp- like con- point of contact for somebody to be like, oh, this is that's the first queer comedian I've ever seen in my life. Whether you like me or not, I was on stage and you listened to me. Hell yeah! Can you think of any queer comedians? Because I personally cannot. Cool comedian. Queer, queer. Oh, oh no, you're putting me on the spot. That's the thing. <laughs> I, well, I'm putting myself on the spot too because as of this time, I really can't think of any uh, major uh, queer voices. I think the most diverse act. Uh, comedian I could think of I can't, can't even remember his name but he was the guy with the stutter uh, he was on the uh, Jimmy Kimmel show and he was so funny and he had a stutter and I never thought that someone with a stutter could do stand up comedy mm-hmm. but there he was doing it killing it you can do anything man right yeah I mean I think right now we're in this point also with comedy where it's a new era of comedy whether people want to like it or not, there's a new era of comedy coming because we're getting more diverse voices. We're getting more women. We're getting more people of color. We're getting queer people. I mean, I've done shows with a trans woman and I'd never seen a trans comedian before. Or maybe I haven't. I just didn't know. Right. But the fact that we're giving these people these voices and being able to amplify this is so amazing to me, which I think that's where now we have this like disconnect where like old comedians are now are like... Oh, we can't do comedy anymore because we can't say things that we want to say and people take us too seriously. Well, right. I wanted to ask you about that. Like, do you think that that's like that we're kind of falling into like this oversensitive kind of realm of like tell jokes that aren't offensive or? I... No, I just think it's people will claim people are being sensitive when they're being assholes. Like, of course, people are going to have some sort of setback. I think, yeah, sometimes we need to, like, pick our battles. But if it bothers you now that someone's saying, hey, all of your jokes are based on you punching down at my entire being and my humanity, then you need to rethink, like, why am I only talking about this? Like, I've done done shows with a guy who does a 30-minute set about how he hates women. And it's like... 
honey, you don't need to be doing stand-up. You need to be going to therapy. Because what? why is your entire set revolving around this? There's clearly something wrong. That and was a real set? Yeah, pretty much. Ew. Yeah, it's like uh, <laughs> complaining about my wife. She's such a bitch. Uh, uh, women, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, yeah, some things are funny. If, if it's really well written and it's a smart joke and you took time to write it out well, yeah. I'm a laugh. If you say something crazy and it's well written and it's it has a good punchline and it's worth it, there's comedy in that. But if it's just an easy blow to somebody else's existence, especially when that person has to go on stage after you, like it just it's exhausting almost trying to fight for your right humanity. You know what I think it is a little bit is that like sometimes I think I'm thinking of one comedian in particular. I'm about to name drop him, but uh, there's like. I think sometimes when, like, the comedy, instead of it driven by I'm trying to make you laugh, but instead driven by your own personal insecurities and problems, Mm -hmm. that's when, like, you can turn those insecurities and problems, by the way, into the joke. And, like, like, that could, like, you can use those to get those people to laugh. Mm -hmm. But if you're actually driven by those things, I think the audience will pick up on it on a subconscious level and ultimately not appreciate what what you're trying to say. Not that I'm a master of comedy yeah. by any means, but one person in particular that I'm thinking of is uh, Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. Right after his whole scandal, he kind of yeah. came back for like one last time. Angry. Like he he made this awful joke about uh, the Columbine victims. Oh yeah. And like, <laughs> why why the fuck would you joke about a people that are defenseless? Yeah, I you mean, know? I think it's. Uh, a lot of it is shock. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, if you can't make people laugh, you're going to shock them. Right. Because a lot of times when I'm shocked, I'll laugh. Just even now, I laughed. I was like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and, you know, every it's comedy subjective, but a lot of it has to do with shock value. And now I think sometimes it's like, instead of listening to people and being like, hey, like, it's just so hard. Like, after that guy went on, on stage and did 30 minutes of hating women, I'm. what is going to make me think that if I talk to him on a one-on-one basis, there's not something about him that thinks that he, like, he hates me. I, right. If your entire set is about you hating a certain type of person or you all your sets are you punching down, what makes me think this isn't just bleeding out into everything else? And that's usually how it starts. It starts bleeding out into every... It makes me think of that's you as a person. That's right. you as a whole being. You As much as you want to separate it from your life it's you and that's who you're presenting to and i think a lot of it is like now i made people mad i'm gonna say things to shock people and there's and i don't want to like i said i don't want to be this pc police that's like you can't make risque jokes because i say some fucked up shit you know yeah and comedy there should be a leeway of being able to make fun of some stuff because you are kind of reflecting on society but right if your entire basis is just trying to piss people off you need to reflect and say why am i like what at some point it's gonna get old and like, it's just, I don't know. It just seems like the easy way out. Right. It's the easy way out. There's people on TikTok making the stupidest videos that have nothing offensive in them and you're laughing your ass off and people think that they have to punch down on somebody to make comedy. It's like, no, you don't have to. You just right. want to because it's shock value. No, definitely. All right, let's 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 talk shop for a second. How, I think, I myself, but also I think like people listening who might have interest in comedy. How do you come up with a good joke? <laughs> Go through some trauma. No, I'm just kidding. How do you come up with a good joke? Like, it's... Because, like, I, sometimes I'll hear a joke from a stand-up comedian. I, I, I'll actually be in awe wondering how they came up with that. Mm-hmm. You know, how'd they put those two things together? It's it's a lot. So you, it's... A lot of jokes are structured. It's, it's a formula of jokes. Like, you could Google it and take a class, which I think is really great. If you really don't know where to start, I would say take a class because then you have people to go to open mics with. It's a scary, you're getting to know the basics. It's like a writing class. You're learning the structure, what kind of comedians there are, your voice. And I think a lot of it is too, is like finding your unique perspective. And I think that's sometimes what's so great about comedy is like you meet people from so many different places that just have this like weird like you're like what i would have never thought of that that way that is so funny that they put it in that sense and just finding your quirkiness and your uniqueness and and just writing it down and my teacher was like anytime you think something funny 
or someone says that's funny or someone laughs at what you say you write it down and then you go back and look and it's like oh people don't think about these things yeah the same way i do or if they do how can i relate it so that people as a collective will be like yeah i've thought that too totally like bmw drivers are assholes oh yeah no i so i (laughs) my dad's gonna appreciate this he listens to the podcast my dad hi dad (laughs) one day one day i remember my dad said to me you know who are the worst drivers out there bmw drivers and i at first was like uh okay that's a weird Mm -hmm. specific demographic to call out on and then (laughs) later that day i was driving somewhere and a bmw driver cut me off i was like huh that's ironic. Yeah. And then I realized my dad is totally right. And I realized that my dad is not the first person to have this idea. Mm-hmm. And that it's an actual phenomenon that yeah. BMW drivers are assholes. Well, I think they're just <laughs> mad because they have to pay like $80 for an oil change. Like, right. I would be pissed too. So this this morning, actually, something, something happened where I was driving out of this parking lot. Mm-hmm. And because I was uh, nose out, trunk in parking wise, if you can kind of imagine that. Pretty sure I explained that horribly. Yeah. But I was <laughs> driving out and I th- I went the wrong direction between the between the two uh, parking designated parking spaces. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going against ongoing traffic, totally my accident. Yeah. I'm trying to move forward and like this one BMW driver is now driving into my lane, so I can't leave that way. And so instead, what happened was I decided I'm gonna go in reverse, so that way I'm exiting the correct way but facing the wrong direction. Yeah. So I'm doing this. And the BMW driver is speeding up on me, not even giving me the chance to, to back up. And I'm like, what the heck? So finally, it got a little bit wider in this one spot where I'd be able to kind of quit and go around and mm-hmm. now go straight. And this BMW driver has the gall to roll down her window to say something to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, you sped up on me while yeah. I was in a vulnerable state. So I'm going to flip you off. And I didn't even look at her. I gave her the finger and I drove off. Wow. And let me tell you, it felt good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, some people just are so. Ag- I mean, I I'm aggressive sometimes, but not to the. I I don't know. People just get aggressive, and I guess at the BMW, you're like in this, like, ooh, I have, I can pay this car, <laughs> so I'm gonna be an asshole. Right. What, you, what is it about BMW drivers, though? I really don't get it. I'm telling you, they're just mad because their oil changes are so expensive. They're, it's the entitlement. I yeah. guess. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't drive a BMW. I'm sure as soon as I get rich and famous and I buy my BMW, I'm going to be, you're going to be flicking me off. <laughs> <laughs> that's your goal is to become yeah. a douchebag? Yeah. Nah, that's not a bad goal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm halfway there. No, when, I'm just when you're big, <laughs> yeah. When you're big enough, you yeah. just, I, I, I'm at BMW level. Yeah. I've never thought about that way, but now that you've said it, I may change. I may flip over to BMW drivers. So if you're a BMW driver, one day I'll get on your level. Yeah. Just buy like an old one. Yeah. It doesn't matter what year it is. That it's way it's humble. As, yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. A humble brag. Yeah. Let's dial it back a little bit though. I want to learn a little bit about like how you got started in acting. Um, where does it come from? Did your family support you the whole time? And uh, Where did it come from? Where did you go? Um... Sorry, I was, I, acting, you know, that's a good question because I try to go back and be like, when did I decide that acting was a thing? I think acting has just always been in my repertoire. Um, And I think it had to do a lot with one, having a very, my mom's very witty, very comedic. And so I, I feel like I got my comedy from her. And two, like being thrown into a whole nother like country and having to assimilate, essentially. And so you have to act like the rest of them. And I think even just that, like being able to blend in and blend out. Like, you know, you go home, you speak English. I mean, you go to you go to school, you speak English, you blend in with your friends, you try to get in with the culture and make sure you're not too weird or too different. And then you go back home and you speak Spanish and you go back to doing the things that you grew up doing. And so for me, that's just kind of been, I guess, my way of getting into acting, of being able to blend in where you go. Like anywhere you go, you just blend in. Um, I definitely got into acting high school. I did a theater class. I did a monologue for my freshman year of high school and everyone cried and I was like, wow, the, wow. Pow- the power I have. <laughs> um, what, 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 what was the monologue from? It was from... Runaways, which is a, I want to say that's the name of it, Runaways. I do not remember who wrote it, which is a terrible theater student. But it's about New York 
kids who run away from home and it's telling their story through monologues. And um, I just remember how powerful that felt to, to be, one, to be able to relate to the character even though I hadn't gone through their life. And two, to be able to have people listen to you and, and relate and just like looking at a sea of crying faces. I'm like, y'all are fucking lame. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I kind of fell out of it. I, I was all over the place in high school. I've always wanted to learn a little bit about everything. Came back to it at the end of the year. Um, I didn't go to college um, to like a university my first two years of college. I went to community college, stayed at home, and I had to find a way to stay sane because all of my friends had left. I was the only person, you know, I was taking classes with people who were like that loneliness factor just kind of getting to you. Yeah. And so I had to find like, okay, I'm still, I felt, I felt really stuck. And so I had to find some way to escape. And so I joined the theater there, got incredible training from that theater um, because it was so small. You were, it was like one-on-one and I got very close to my theater teachers and my directors and being able to do the work and, and where I came, I went to Tarrant County Community College. Shout out to Tarrant County. Um, it was very like, it was very humbling because if you weren't acting, if you auditioned for the play and you didn't get into it, you had to do another part. Whether it was makeup, whether it was costumes, whether it was front of house, whether it was building the set, somebody was always responsible for something. And I think that really teaches you how to um, be a well-rounded actor and be a good human being because you know that every job is important. So... I did that, went off to University of Texas at Austin, Hook'em Horns, um, <laughs> was still swaying. My parents this entire time haven't, weren't the most supportive about it. And I totally get it. You know, when you're an immigrant and you come from not very much, your parents really want you to be the next step up, like be a doctor, be a lawyer, be something that can really level us up. You have these opportunities and to them that's like, oh, you're a doctor, but you're a you lawyer. St- and you still have that potential. By the way, yeah, to be that that I next mean, level. I mean, I would not be a good doctor. I would probably pass out taking people's vitals and <laughs> or like seeing any glimpse of blood. I would be on the floor, so you would probably die. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I don't think you want me to be a doctor. But um, so yeah, I mean, my parents were always not. They were like saw it as a hobby, not necessarily as my primary source of joy and what I'm the best at. Right. Um, and they came and saw my plays and were like, you do great. But it was never like, wow, this is really great. Let's put you in classes. Let's push you to do this. Um, it wasn't until I went off to Austin where I was away from my family for the first time. And it's like, I'm miserable because I'm still kind of like jumping the fence, straddling the fence of like, do I do it or do I stay, pick something safe? Do I just pick something in the right. middle that's kind of creative, but still is going to make me money? Was there ever like um, a subject or a course that you almost said that this is it? That was practical? Ah, uh, no, <laughs> no. I mean, I tried doing, I thought, okay, advertising, that's, that's dope. That's creative. That makes money. Like, yeah. wow. Advertisements gets millions of dollars. Like, oh yeah. And I failed it so bad. I failed that course <laughs> so badly. And I was like, no, this, I need to just do it. Cause at this point I'm just wasting time. So yeah. I switched over to the theater department. Didn't tell my parents. My parents did not know I was a theater major until like five days before I graduated and then I moved out to LA and I've just been pursuing it heavily ever since. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> My parents wouldn't agree, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, but they support you now through it. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I stop asking, you know, like I kind of know what the answer is. Ultimately, they would still want me to, I call my mom and she's like, babe, like, come on. Like, you want to know, like if I... If I get, if something happens to me, what do you, who's going to take care of you? I'm like, okay, first of all, calm down. I'm an adult. Yeah. Um, so no, not super fully supportive. I don't tell them everything that's going on just because I don't want to worry them because it has been a lot of a struggle. Um, and I just, to me, it's like, I've spent so much time listening to my parents, which is great. I respect my parents. I love my parents. But at some point you have to take your own life into your own hands and stop letting doubt hold you back because if you let doubt hold you back you're not going to get to where you need to be i think subliminally that's kind of part of the test because that that kind of like that over smothering nature of parents at times can Mm -hmm. really get to you yeah especially when you want to make your parents proud right oh yeah and it's hard to it's hard to like 
I guess like even like convince them that you're doing really okay. And mm-hmm. I, I still struggle with that, even though like there are definitely some areas, whether that's financially, whether that's socially that I can yeah. be stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a journey. It's a journey. I need to experience it. Yeah. I need to be kicked out of the nest so I could make myself fly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I think for me, that's like a, that's been a big discovery for myself is like doing it for me, doing it for me and knowing that. I know myself well enough to know that this is something I will succeed in. And then I can turn around and be like, see, I told you. Told you. <laughs> I, I, I love you, but I told you. It's a it's a great risk and yes. an even better passion. And mm-hmm. I, I'm in I'm in a similar boat because I want to pass. I want to extend the legacy of my family as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm taking this risk in, in going into film. Yeah. It's you know? scary. You know, I, it's scary. That's part of being a hopeless romantic. Yeah. Well, I think it's just like taking the legacy where you want to take it. And yeah. just, like I said, knowing yourself well enough to know. I'm, this is what I know I'm good at. I can, to me, my parents are always like, well, you could always come back home, be a manager, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's the easy way out. That You brought me to a whole nother country for me to be a manager at a Foot Locker? Like, no, ma'am. No I'm gonna, way. I'm going to aim as high as I can. No, that's that's not your purpose. No. I no. would be terrible at selling shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Very specifically about Foot Locker. <laughs> no, offen- no, no offense to Foot Locker. <laughs> but but I, I get you. I, I get you. Like, you know, right now my, my daytime job... Or I, I should more accurately put it nighttime job because of how late I work. Mm-hmm. I work at Dave and Buster's right and now. And we love that. We, you know, and I'm chasing this LA dream and, uh, you know, I'll see friends from time to time go in there and it's like they, they have different jobs than me. Mm-hmm. I know that what I'm doing though, like what keeps me from being embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. Not that I hate Dave and Buster's, but it's just not the most gratifying thing to say out loud. Yeah. What keeps me at bay with Dave & Buster's is the fact that I'm doing this podcast. I consider this my Mm full-time job along with my screenwriting and my directing. I got two scripts in development right now. Yeah. And that before the last job I was working at in that toxic environment, Mm -hmm. I didn't have anything going for me at that time. Because it was draining you. You'd come home and be like, oh, I'm tired. I have no time to express my creative energy. Mm -hmm. And now because of that, I've – because of this change, even though I'm at risk – I've put myself in this position and I'm so happy about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm experiencing that with you. And I'm so happy for you cuz I've you. just seen the I've seen the podcast grow and like I've told you when we talked earlier, it's the initial it's the initial push that's the hardest and once you start it gets bigger and bigger and it takes more of your time and you get better at it. Right. And then this becomes your main gig and your Dave and Buster's is now your side gig. Right. It's paying the bills exactly. for now. For now. So if you guys are fans of the show and you want to come visit me, stop by to Dave and Buster's in Hollywood and I'll 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 hook you up, maybe. We'll maybe. See. <laughs> <laughs> just look for Mr. Thrive. You'll you'll see him. Well, he'll... you just didn't you just get a promotion as well and it's I... something more related into kind of what you want to do? It, it's working with my hands more. I'm about to be game tech, so that's gonna be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're da- learning skills. Right, right. So it's 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 pretty it's pretty exciting. I like to learn skills. That, that's definitely what keeps me happy is learning mm-hmm. and having a new experience and days not being the same. Yeah. Those are things that really make me happy. Uh, and that's what's most important, actually. Yeah. It really is. And I think that's also the... There's like a generational like separation between our generation and our parents' generation where it's like, we're just look like the world, honestly, half of it is going to shit. (laughs) Like hopefully not. Like we, I'm like hoping that we get it together. But for us now, whatever, money, great. I want, I want to be doing what I want to be doing. My passion. I want to be happy. I don't want to go churn at the machine and, and lose my entire self for somebody else's dream. I want to create my own dream. And I want people to know that they can create their own dreams. Absolutely. And that doesn't come without meeting a struggle though. There's there's gotta be there's gotta be struggle in order to make uh that victory even sweeter. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean everyone's journey's different. I've met people who come out here and immediately hit it off and are doing great. Um and then you meet people like me <laughs> who it's it's been a struggle. But when you love something so much you're going to pursue it no matter what. And right. I think that's the most important part to know. It's like it's not going to be easy and as much as you want to give up, you you can't you, you shouldn't because it's worth it. It's worth it. And and every struggle that I've 
dealt with, I think a lot of people will see a blockage and say, this is it, I can't do it. For me, it's like, okay, there's a blockage here. Can I, can I build a window? Can I dig a tunnel underneath? Can I put a ladder over it? How can I grow as a person to make it out of this struggle? And then there's always another bump and another bump. And to me, it's like playing a video game. There's always a boss. There's always, you're <laughs> always gonna have to level up and it's always gonna get harder, but you're gonna get stronger. You're gonna get what more weapons, more right. life points. Right. Maybe you're gonna get a sidekick. Are you a gamer nerd? Um, no, I mean I have a ori- original Nintendo, and okay. I play like Donkey Kong. I um, didn't know that. I grew up with brothers, so like we oh, play video I games. See. But I'm not like, don't challenge me. I will lose unless <laughs> we're playing Smash Brothers. I'll just hide in the corner and wait until everyone's really weak, and then I'll go in and kill everybody. That's what I do. <laughs> Because if I just start trying to mash buttons, it doesn't work it's out. It's strategy. Right. But that, you know, that definitely can parallel to life, though, because, you, you know, I I just, there's so many ways to go about it, especially in this industry. I think the most difficult thing about this industry is that there's no straightforward ladder nope. to being that thing. Unless you got money. Unless you got money. But That's, then you need talent. And then you need talent. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a you know slippery slope on that yeah. one it's just like like you hear these different stories about how different people get discovered like have you heard about how harrison ford got discovered no how did he get discovered he was a plumber oh he was a plumber for someone famous well, or let me go apply to be a plumber somewhere. <laughs> yeah and and like you you hear stories like that or or even like steven spielberg and how he would sneak into universal studios mm-hmm. he, just to like be able to yeah, kind of walk yeah. around and 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 kind of sneak his way in be in it have you watched that documentary about him i haven't now I have, to, I have to write these things down i recommend it it's so great and there's a story about how steven spielberg would he first befriended the security guard and then he snuck his way into Universal Studios and would kind of walk around the back lot, just mm-hmm. kind of uh, casually walk around. And then what happened after that was he discovered a financial building that was kind of half populated. So the next day he came back with his own plaque as if he worked there. And he made that his home, his like his home yeah. base to kind of come back to and work in. Mm-hmm. And eventually <laughs> he got discovered when it was payroll because they went up and said, I'm sorry, we don't have you in our system. We don't have a Spielberg. Says I know that's because I don't work here. <laughs> so they would have called security on me and been like security. But that's the thing; it's like he found his way. He saw an obstacle and he said, "No, we're right. gonna." It's all about strategy right. and figuring it out. And when it's something you love, and I think also a lot of people move out to LA because they all they see is the stuff on social media and the glamour and the fame and the money and the recognition. But you don't get that at the beginning. You don't get any no. of that. And if you're doing it for that, you're not gonna last. You're not gonna last at all because you you don't appreciate. The, the struggle, the art, the the things that have to, the wheels that have to move in order for you to get there. Like right. I post, yeah, of course you go on my Instagram and you're going to see the best of the best, but you don't know that I've spent months sleeping on the floor because I can't afford a bed and I'd rather purchase a, another acting class than buy a bed for myself. Or Are you really living on the flo- sleeping on the floor? No, not anymore. Oh, like, okay. Um, that was a phase that I already went through. But How it's long like, did that phase last for? Months months and it's also like a bit of pride you know like I don't with my parents not fully supporting me it's like I'm not gonna call home and be like hey can I borrow money and I just have never been that person because one it always comes back in some way of like "Mm, remember when we helped you but it's also like the leverage for me it's like I know the sacrifices that I have to make and for me sleeping on the floor for a couple months isn't gonna isn't gonna break me enough to make me go back home because I want it so bad I would rather spend that money on an acting class that I know is gonna get me somewhere or it's gonna fuel my passion for like i'm not getting any auditions at least i get to go every tuesday and thursday to class and act and that's what i came here to do hell yeah and you keep rocking that yeah what's some advice that you can give someone to start with acting i feel like you just can't have enough advice for acting it's your own journey i think um take yourself seriously take yourself seriously because if you don't take yourself seriously other people aren't going to um and do your research do your freaking research. There's so many times that people have reached out to me and asked me questions that they can find online, that they can read a book about. Do your research. Not everyone's going to do the work for you. You have to you have to do your homework. I I read books, I go online and I watch podcasts, I watch videos. I le- you have to consistently be learning and you have to push yourself to do it. You can't expect other people to do it for you. I love it. I there was a quote recently that my girlfriend has posted up on her wall. It says, uh, life isn't about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. Mm-hmm. 
And I couldn't, I just, that's really resonated with me this, these past couple of weeks. Cause it's this struggle of like, how do you stick to your passion and, and, and not give it up and then, and then maintain the motivation to create, create your content and create you. Yeah. You know, uh, that's been such a big theme these past couple of weeks. And, uh, you know what? To create is a gift. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful for it. It is. And it's, it's a, a, a blessing. Yeah. yeah. And now that I'm like, part of it's like positioning my life and my life choices to that as well. Mm-hmm. Like being able to create myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so thankful for that. Yeah, and it feels good, doesn't it? It, it feels real good. You find it's, it's, you find things about yourself you didn't even know. It's rejuvenating. It's it's therapeutic. Yeah, your skin looks incredible. Oh, you, thank you. Rejuvenated. <laughs> <laughs> if someone on the other end right now wanted to contact you uh, to potentially work with, what's the best way to reach out to you? Uh, social media, of course. Um, my Instagram is. Instagram slash Carla Emilian. It's Carla with a C, Emilian, E-M-I-L-I-A-N. You can Google me, I think. I think you can Google me, right? I'm Am sure I you can. I mean, when I Google myself, of course, I'm going to pop up because, you know, of all the search history of, like, my own stuff. Should we check it out? Should let's try see, it out? Let's try. Watch horrible things pop up. I'm scared. Um, yeah, social media. I have an IMDB. I'm working on a website right now. Man, you know, website building is difficult. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. There I am. There's my IMDb. Wow, she is Google. You could see my my real. That's a great photo. Thank you. Wow, check her out on IMDb. Yeah. All this information will be in the display of the description below. Yeah, cast me. I'm ready. And finally, my final question that I ask everybody on this podcast: What will you be famous for? That's an incredible question. Um, I will be famous for acting and for pushing the boundaries. Carla, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. So happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.